a person can be incredibly well-adjusted and successful and competitive and all of that and love themselves along the way. You don't need to hate yourself to be competitive. Actually being willing to nurture yourself and be with yourself and listen to yourself. From there, that opens up this space to be able to extend that out to another. Welcome to The Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. This is a Soul Fire production. Today on the show, we've got Aaron Alexander. Now, Aaron is the host of the super popular podcast, The Align Podcast. He is also a very successful published author of The Align Method book, and he's just got an incredible depth of knowledge and experience, especially in the movement world. He helps people utilize movement as a means to better their mind, better their body, and really stress-proof their life. Now, in today's conversation, it's a very special one because at the time of this recording, Aaron is just coming off of an approximately five-day retreat in darkness. That's right, a five-day darkness retreat. And so I'm so curious with the questions that I ask in the conversation that we go into, why would someone even consider doing a darkness retreat? What is a darkness retreat? And what are the really the things that came up during that experience and in the days following in Aaron's inner world that has really served as learning lessons for himself and things that we can also extract as the audience to really hopefully make our lives even better and give us insights that we maybe hadn't even thought of before, hadn't even considered before. And this podcast goes quite deep in the topic of the self. And really what I would just say is, you know, Aaron's application of how we can take what he's learned and and not only just from his darkness retreat experience, but in throughout his life and how we can really become more of the observer of when we are becoming the slave to achievement, when we are maybe not loving ourselves as deeply as we potentially could, when we really are diving into that inner critic. And so while this topic and this conversation is so much around the darkness retreat, there are so many extrapolations from that conversation that we can take practically into our lives. So get ready with this podcast with myself and Aaron Alexander. I don't know if you've ever seen the old movie with over the the top. You know, dude, when that's the switch right there, bro. It all changes. (laughs) You know, once you go backwards hat. Yeah. Anchors are powerful. Mm. Having some type of, it could be like a audio thing or olfactory, you know, like a smell thing. We were talking about a second ago and just did the the darkness retreat. And during that time frame, I had uh, some essential oils. It's very convenient because now when I do the essential oils, I'm like, oh yeah, it's just like back to that moment. It's very <laughs> convenient. It's a powerful tool. Totally is, man. And you, we were doing lavender. Is that what you brought with you there? I actually only had tea tree like a dummy, but it's still, <laughs> you work with what you got. Dude, well, I was going to get to that probably later, but I think now I'm just, I'm, this is honestly, I'm so curious about what you just went through in this darkness retreat. So, mm. so many questions and I know you just got back. And so... We were actually going to record the other day, but rightfully so, you let me know, like, Mike, integrating right now, uh, can we do it late? And I was like, absolutely. You know, I've never done a darkness retreat. And with that said, can you just start from the top, man? What is it and why were you attracted to it? So a darkness retreat essentially is what it sounds. You sit with yourself in a dark, completely pitch black uh, room or rooms or whatever. It's just the darkness is the part that's relevant um, for some extended period of time. Mine was oddly exactly 108 hours, Hmm. uh, which is convenient for like prayer beads, you know? So it's good for like YouTube videos and such. So we're (laughs) going to do a video of the whole experience in 108 hours. (laughs) Um, But 108 hours actually, or i.e. I went in Wednesday evening and came out Monday morning. Traditionally, it's done in Buddhist traditions for 49 days. Wow. Which is wild. Um, I believe it's the, the, the tribe called the Kogi tribe in Colombia. They do some version of that for eight years. And I believe with that, they come out at night and then they're in darkness during the day. 
Um, so it's, and it's something I actually wrote about in my, my book, the Align method in the vision chapter, uh, it, it got kind of resurfaced in the Czech Republic. They call it therapy Tamu or Tamal. I don't know how to say it exactly. It's a darkness therapy. And, um, yeah, typically people range from anywhere from like three days to like a lot more than that. And, uh, yeah, you just sit with yourself in dark room and see what comes up. What was the, do you know the reason of why the monks would do it and what attracted you specifically to that? Because there's so many different types of, you know, I don't know if that would be considered. I imagine it's a rite of passage in some way, shape or form. It is an initiation. Yeah. So why were you attracted to it? I've, I think for the most part, always been attracted to rites of passages. I haven't always called it that. As a teenager, it was like, you know, beer bonging a 40 (laughs) in front of a bunch of people and like risking my you know, the explosion of my, my stomach with, you know, gas uh, in front of a, you know, a group of 40 people as a means of like, I am man. Yeah. Some tribes put their hands into gloves filled with fire ants. Some people do the, the, is it called the sun dance? The sun dance. Yeah. Yeah. You might do the sun dance. You might do a darkness retreat. You might climb a mountain. You might have an inclination to get into fist fights, you know, and just prove to yourself that you're, you're man enough. You're mm. not afraid. Um, I think there's an interesting displacement of confused rites of passage in Western culture that I've gone through quite a bit of that. And uh, for me, doing the darkness in particular, I think is is really a powerful window into my unconscious, I guess you could say. Right now, I'm rereading Michael Singer's book. The uh, what is it? What is his, his his book called? Michael Singer book. Oh, I forget what it's called. It's a really great book. Um, but in that, he's, it'll, it'll come to me what it's called. But in that, he talks about the, you know, the unconscious mind is kind of being like um, the roommate of your conscious mind or the conscious mind is the roommate of the unconscious mind. And we have this ongoing chatter throughout the day. Doesn't stop. It's always going. For many people, it's, you know, a lot of like negative self-talk maybe. Uh, it's a lot of to-do lists. It's a lot of projecting ourselves into the future or the past. or It's just like this rolling chatter. And for many people, um, you know, I think I still fall into this category to some degree. We could be convinced that we are that chatter because we don't know anything different. And the something like a darkness, time spent in darkness, you go through this really interesting experience of, of just being with nothing but you and the chatter. And then behind that, you're like, oh, it, it almost forces a person into becoming the observer because there's really nothing else to do. Or you'll, you, I don't know what you would do, but like I, I would just explode essentially. And um, yeah, in that time, in the, in, the, in the Michael Singer book, he talks about the when a person feels really anxious or a person feels like, ah, scream, you know, or run or any of that. Uh, he describes that as like the chatter starts to build up and it's almost like a, um, like a tea kettle. And when the tea kettle starts to whistle, it's making sound. It's this energy kind of like bubbling over. And uh, if that chatter isn't tended to and, you know, nurtured and loved and accepted and all of that, I think it can start to build up. It can feel very uncomfortable. And I think it can lead to things like, you know, anxiety and, you know, maybe depression could manifest or sometimes just feeling like your skin is crawling and you feel uncomfortable inside of your own, your own avatar. And so in that experience, something that was very interesting was to get to observe the chatter come up. In that instance, it was a lot of like, oh, like I should freaking just stop doing this. I can't do this this is too much. Mm. I think I'm going to have a fucking nervous breakdown. You know, I got to go. And then that would translate to me of observing the, that, that internal energy bubbling up. And it would translate to me like screaming at the top of my lungs or I brought a a djembe drum and a flute and a harmonica and some stuff in there. I brought resistance bands and different, you know, different things. And um, it was really interesting to observe this, perceived, you know, freak out, pent up energy because, you know, you're just sitting with yourself and you have a lot of energy because you're like sleeping a lot (laughs) Uh, and a feeling of like, ah, like it's just uncomfortable inside of here. 
like inside of myself. And then that would translate to me jumping and screaming and literally becoming a, a crazy person, essentially. So I have much more compassion for the person that's just, you know, yelling at people and, you know, at, at Venice Beach. Now I'm like, oh, I'm like, I get you. <laughs> like, I totally get you. And then within that, what was really fascinating was on the other side of that release of the energy, you know, which from a, a physiological perspective is, is the, the body has different ways of, of purging pent up stress and pent up emotion. It might uh, cry, which the composition of tears induced from emotional circumstances is completely different than that of tears induced from cutting an onion. Uh, it might translate to screaming. It might translate to humming, singing, uh, talking too much. Uh, and that would be, you know, the exhalation phase of the breath is supportive for activating that parasympathetic, like calming side of the nervous system. Um, humming is shown to support with the tonifying of the vagus nerve slash you know, the rest of the nervous system. You know, so it starts to kind of bring you back into, oh, okay, cool. Like, whew, calm. So, that, you know, or, or another example would be vision. You know, if a, if a person is really myopically focused in on something, that's going to rev up more of that sympathetic, get her done, executive function, fight flight side of the nervous system. If you're like starting to space out, you're, oh man, I'm just going to, I'm going to check out a little bit. Your vision might start to take in the whole room, take in the whole panorama. That's going to start to turn on that parasympathetic side of the nervous system. You know, so you see this with babies. They have you know, these really brilliant, intelligent ways of calming themselves down. Mm. Uh, adults do as well. We just put definition and structure around these actions that we're doing that, that in fact is the intelligence of our biology supporting us with purging stress and uh, equalizing our nervous system. You could say like finding homeostasis. So it was really interesting to, uh, f you know, for me, I, I've spent a reasonable amount of time researching like all of those different systems that we have to get the body back to a baseline and to, to have the opportunity to observe my body essentially becoming like a crying baby in a fit and observing these endogenous systems to start to stabilize my mood and to watch them in real time kind of like bring me back to like, okay, like everything is, is kind of okay again. Hmm. It's very fascinating. Did you find that like, at what point did these, let's say releases maybe start happening? Did you hit different thresholds? Like, were you having your first challenges show up in six hours? Do you think, you know, the first day, how long was it before it really started getting challenging in some way, shape or form? For me, it was like, as soon as I woke up in the morning. Oh. So I went in Wednesday evening. And I don't think this is, there could be a lot of ego in doing any type of like, quote unquote, like rite of passage. For thing. sure. Yeah. It's like rampant in the, in the psychedelic that. world. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, as I'm describing this, I'm hoping to divert away from it being like a badge, mm. you know, of like, oh, like it, 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 all things considered, all I did was sit alone in a dark room for, you know, four and a half days. Definitely not a hero. <laughs> like it's definitely like not that big of a deal. <laughs> it was more just an interesting, like, wow, like what an opportunity to get to observe uh, my consciousness in that space, a place that like be very rare, you know, in my life where I'm, I'm very well distracted throughout the day. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm aware of like, as I'm talking about, it feels a little, a little bit, it, it could be egoic doing something like this and then, and then sharing about it later. Um, so it wasn't that big of a deal. And at the same time, but like, for me, it was like a very big deal. Um, so yeah, it was a very interesting experience. The only thing that I've done remotely similar was like, I've done a lot of floating over the years mm -hmm. and uh, longer floats. And so I remember doing a one overnight float and it was an opportunity that the place was offering. It was like a once a month thing that they would do. And so I did it. And I remember at some point, like it was just really hard to be with myself, even, even just in that, you know, cause I'm thinking too, what is one of the 
one of the most harsh punishments that we could give anybody in jail, solitary confinement, it's Mm -hmm. isolation. And I don't know if that's fully dark when they're in there. No. No. Okay. I mean, I've never actually, I think, but I I don't, I mean, maybe it is. I don't think it is. I think you're just in a, in a, in a room. I think there's a light. I, I think could be wrong. I think there's actually some ways that they would torture people, whether in solitary confinement or not, and actually illuminate. Now I'm thinking illuminate all the lights. So yeah, that'd, be, make, that'd, be, that'd be probably be worse. That'd be horrible. And so when you were in there and you brought a bunch of stuff, which is cool because I never would have thought that you could bring stuff in. So when you I were- I might have cheated a little bit. <laughs> but they said it was fine. Okay. The well, darkness is hard enough. Yeah. You know, so you got a whistle. It's not that, you know, it's like whatever. You know, <laughs> take a, take a whistle, bro. You're fine. Yeah. And, uh, but you were doing some movement in there. So what did your, your movement look like? How are you just keeping, you know, your body moving and, and feel, cause you're, I, so, you're your mover today and you teach movement a lot. I, I would do, I was like very, it was, I had a very specific curriculum, which again, probably not that advisable. Um, but I think that my mind compared to say like a lot of, I think women oftentimes have an easier time doing something like this okay. because they're more trained to emote. You know, so for a gal, it's like probably a much more common occurrence to like spend an evening in a bathtub having a cry. You know, and just like, oh, whoa, <laughs> oh, the world and life. And oh. for a guy, it's like, nope. Yeah. Not going to do that. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'll build something. I'll get something done. I'll make a to-do list. You know, we'll, we'll start an empire, you know, I'll show them. <laughs> and whereas a, a, a woman, typically, you know, a biological female or someone that identifies more feminine or has more feminine qualities, they're just more adept with, with feeling energy and emoting, feeling energy and emoting. Many men, or at least, you know, me, I don't think I, I was, I went into it adequately equipped to allow emotion to move through me, mm. feel it build up. <sighs> Okay, purge, feel it build up, purge. Okay, observe, not become too attached or married to that sensation or the thoughts that are coming through. Just observe it um, almost in like a third person way of like, aha, here's rage, Uh, here's sadness. Oh, here's joy. Oh, here's pride. And it's very easy to become attached to uh, if a person feels happy, if they feel proud, if they feel any of that. Be like, ah, those are my thoughts. Aha. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. This is me. These thoughts, this is me. All right, I want to stay here. You know, and then the other sensations come up where it's maybe a sensation of um, sorrow or misery or greed or comparison. You know, all these other thoughts. Like, okay, no, that's not me. (laughs) And so within that, I think that, um, yeah, it it was a great opportunity to get to really, truly start to practice some of the um, principles broken down in like Buddhism and different philosophies like that. And so the music and the movement for me, I think it was a bit of, it became a bit like almost like a crutch Okay, in a way. Um, and I had a very specific curriculum where I would do uh, 10 sets of um, essentially it was like, I think it was about five activities. One was theater. And so I would get up in the middle of the room typically and I would do like stand-up comedy. I would do poetry. (laughs) I would do, um, yeah, like I would do theater. Like I was like two different characters. I would scream. I would sing. I don't know very many lyrics or very many songs. (laughs) So it'd be like, ah, just like, I don't fucking know any songs. This is terrible. I wish I went in more equipped with songs. Uh, and then I would go from that to exercise. So I have like, uh, I had my resistance bands. So I do different stuff like that. I do, uh, 50 lunges in each, uh, set, um, push 50 pushups, 50 lunges, 50 leg raises, just a bunch of stuff. I would do a round of meditation. I'd sit and just do like, cool. Now I'm going to do my meditation. And there was a couple other things I would do in there, but I would go through these, like these, like compulsive rounds that for me, the way how it was supportive is I'd be like, okay, if I do these 10 rounds by the end of the day, dinner will arrive pretty much each round take about an hour. Mm. So that was kind of the way that I was like negotiating and bargaining with myself of like, okay, this is okay. All right. I finished set one. All right. Now I'll go to set two. After set two, there was a bathtub in there as well. I do cold plunges. Oh, Um, so I do a cold plunge like after every like two or three sets, I do three cold plunges a day. I do three hot baths a day. 
I was very methodical, but I've, I realized that that was um, a bit of a crutch and almost like it was like me replacing compulsive behavior that I would have in normal life. It was just like compulsive, dark behavior. So I think in a, in a way, someone that's like really ninja with it, they would be able to, and I actually did a podcast interview with the Scott, the founder of the place, it's called Sky Cave Retreats. And his approach is he just lays down, essentially he's just very lazy and he just observes thoughts and he observes, you know, all the feelings that come up and he lays with himself and he, the question he has is like, where can I soften? You know, where can I relax more? Where can I soften more and just go through? And I think if that's actually much like higher level, I think I did the training wheels version where I was kind of st- still trying to implement my waking day life strategies into the darkness. So yeah, I think I was a little bit, I was like the baby steps version of the <laughs> darkness retreat. If you were to do it again, well, one, would you? And then if you were, is that, do you think you would take something like that approach? Do you think you'd be ready for this? Or is that like more like someone who's been doing this, like, you know, who's done Vipassana as a ton or something like that? I think different people are better at different things. That was one of the things I was like, I was like, well, there's some things that this guy, Scott, he's like full on, you know, monk, ninja, samurai at just being, you know, and, and stillness and quietness. Like he just, smashes stillness and quietness but then there's certain other parts of life that he maybe doesn't do so well with mm. so like he has a few kids and he, f- he finds like chaos to be more challenging you know so it's some people i think are more adept at certain things i think oftentimes we can get into a comparison game because you're around someone and you're like you're in their stadium and you're like wow they're so good at this thing like confirmed you know, my bias towards me sucking and me like not being as good at, at, at anything as anyone else. It's like, no, 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 like you're in their realm right now. Mm. So I think that's something that can be cultivated with anyone is just um, compassion for self, you know? And so throughout that, I think that that was one thing. It was just like, okay, like maybe I don't need to be the Olympian of stillness and quietness and the benefit I think that I got from it was the the newfound education that I have much more resilience than I had believed before. Um, And I have much more like, like commitment capacity for commitment. If I say I'm going to do a thing, I'm going to do the thing. Mm. So even though it was hard for me and I think I could have done a better, like quote unquote, better job, uh, there was still a lot of benefit from it. And that was one of the things like, I, maybe I, I don't need to be the, best on the planet at just sitting still with myself. Maybe there's other aspects of my personality and my, you know, my history and my life and like my personhood that are more in my wheelhouse of skill sets and I can have gratitude and appreciation for them and then also be willing to be a student and lean into these places where like I'm pretty shit. And so I think that that that's if I did it again, I would probably try to be stiller and softer and, um, you know, just sit back and be a little more like, you know, Samurai Ninja Scott with it and also have compassion for myself if that was like, man, it's just too much. Mm. Compassion's a big one. Do you feel, how, how, what's your level of, of compassion for self? Do you do a little comparisons and such? Yeah. I mean, like, I think as part of my, uh, are you familiar with the Enneagram by chance? Not much, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've had mine done and stuff. It's yeah. something that I've been, I've been studying much more and, and I've been working with a coach now. I think like, the last few months on it. And, and it's really illuminated a lot for me. And so my core type is a type one, which I just really resonate with. That's why I bring it up. And the type one is like the perfectionist, more or less the idealist, the perfectionist, the moralist. And so the, um, I don't want to say like the core womb, but there's, there's a belief that, that there's always looking for imperfection, always looking for something wrong. And so one of the downsides of it is the, the, there's a really harsh inner critic. I think a lot of people have a harsh inner critic but I've just really resonated with that. So for me, a lot of my work has been to soften. So I think over the years, am I still hard on myself at times? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like that is a, that is such a facilitated feeling and thought that I go into. And, uh, it's been a really powerful journey over the last, probably, I don't know, 10, 15 years to soften that. So, Mm -hmm. and I think really one of the biggest things that's, that's supported me in the last few years has really been with Lauren you know, my, my, my fiance. And she's, I always say like, 
when we were first dating, uh, let's just say I would like literally unconsciously, I'd do something like, oh, that was shit. Or like I'd do a movement, watch the video and she'd just be hanging out in the garage and be like, like we were, me and you were training today. I'd see something like, no, that's fucking shit. I got to tighten that up, tighten that up. And she would always say when I would be, you know, mean to myself, she'd be like, please don't talk to my friend like that. Mm. And it just like, and when you get that enough and enough, I was just like, wow. So it's so helpful to have her. So I will say, I do feel and can see that I've grown a lot in self-compassion. Uh, and it's one of the things that I think for my life will be one of the things that is my great lesson. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the you have a kid coming, which is very exciting. Mm. Um, that was a, a thing that I found as well. It's like self-parenting is a, is a, a valuable mm-hmm. approach, you know, or maybe even reparenting in a way. It's like, cool, like my parents are, they were children, you know, when they had me. They were doing the best they could. We have this perception of our parents, like they are like the, you know, the end all, like they're like the high priests <laughs> of life, you know, and like they're just kids mm-hmm. trying to figure it out, you know, and, and they are doing the best they can with the tools they've been equipped with, with their parents who were just kids and their parents who were just kids. And now here you are just a kid having a kid. I feel like a kid. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so so if you had a, a kid, which now you have a literal kid, and then you have yourself as a kid, you know, like how would you treat yourself? You know, and that's, there was, uh, I was talking to my, my girlfriend today who she has some of this with her parents where nothing was really ever good enough. You know, and the analogy that popped up to me as we were talking this morning was, you know, imagine if you are a child and you made some origami at school. You know, you made this little thing and like, you're so excited about your origami. I feel like I'm going to cry as I'm talking about this. You're so excited about your origami. And then you come home and, you know, your, your mom or your dad looks at the origami and it's like, you know, it's, it's not folded correctly or it's, you know, it's just a little bit off. And you're like so excited to bring the origami to your parents. And they're like, they like shoot it down. And you're like this little boy or little girl, and like you weren't enough. And then you, from there, you go from excitement and curiosity as a student, as a child, to suddenly this place of like, oh, I'm not enough. And then it starts. And then from there, you start to transition your life into, um, you know, goal seeking behavior and achievement seeking behavior as a means of proving that you're worthy of love. And that's like so many people, you know, and that's like, uh, to do that to a child, you're not doing that to a child. You've, that's been done to you or upon you or in relation to you. And then you're carrying that behavior on and then it can become an amazing tool for the child. It causes perhaps them to seek perfection in a way, it causes them to be, you know, really brilliant at the violin or, you know, a great business person or whatever it is. So it's an asset in a way, that mindset, but a person can also become a slave to that mindset. So then they can navigate through their life, you know, until they come to a point of you know, come to relation to that, that, that roommate, that chatter aspect, because underneath the chatter of the, you know, the conscious mind or, you know, Freud calls it the superego. It's like the, you know, the, the, the way that we've been imprinted from culture. And then the ego is what toggles between, like calls the id, which is like your more like primal biological self. Um, you come to a point where you're like, oh, okay, cool. Like I'm not the origami. I'm not the folds in the paper. You know, like there's like, there's more to me than achievement. You know, but it's so much of the world that, that we, you know, or I, um, or anyone willing to identify with the modern culture that they were they, they were brought up in, um, were indoctrinated by the idea of you are worth it. You're, you're worthwhile based off of the things that you do, mm-hmm. which is just such a bummer, man. Because it's heavy. Yeah, you can it's go. Heavy. You can go your whole life as literally just a slave to accomplishment. That is a motherfucker. Like never loving yourself. Never willing to just be like, ah, like have a moment, like loving, loving your baby, loving your child. Like, could you imagine having a baby and 
the and not love not really truly showing unconditional love for the baby unless they like peed in a perfect direction or something like and and that i think is uh it's something that i've certainly experienced with myself and so you, a person can come to a place where it's like wow i'm so grateful for that operating system of i seek perfection and i love myself regardless well, I think it's important. What you just said is super important because in like this, one of the things we're, you're talking about is that, that ability to self-parent or self-coach. And, you know, when I've reflected on my life, like I don't, like I love that part of me. Yes, it co- can come at a cost when it gets out of balance. And then I, you know, that inner critic comes up and rears its head and v- very much resonate with what you said. But I also, uh, that's also one of the more beautiful parts of me. That's what like pushes me to uh, study more movement and practice deeper, like I'm wanting to learn, like there is a light side of this stuff. So it, in, I think for, cause for a long time in my own life, and I'd be curious to hear your experience with this, you know, I wanted to go like, I've tended to go from one extreme to the next. And with enough of that, almost like I envision it like when you're in a bowling alley and the bowling ball hits the, the, the bumper rails and hits and hits. But then over time, like you realize like it starts just getting a little bit tighter, a little bit tighter. And you don't need to swing or I don't need to swing maybe as far to each extreme because I've realized that that is still a part of me that absolutely serves me. And I love that part of me and I want to bring that. And, and for example, like being disciplined, uh, like I love that part of me being disciplined with movement or being disciplined with how I eat or whatever it is. Like I want to pass those things or at least model those things to my, my son, maybe not put the pressure on him, but just live it in my own life. So can you share a little more on your experience with that? Yeah. Well, I mean, like the, I think the pressure is good and competition is good mm. and having, you know, to a certain degree, comparison is, is invaluable. Like that's evolution. Mm. You know, it's like, Oh cool. Like I'm, uh, doing this thing, if I like the, the, I think the worst case scenario is a person that is living in this illusion that like they're the best. Yeah, you know, no matter what, doesn't matter if your origami isn't actually origami at all. Like you're amazing. <laughs> like yes, you are amazing. <laughs> like you're one of God's creatures, and you're a snowflake. This is great, but bro, this origami is fucking not right. Like this, <laughs> this origami. shit kind of sucks. It's not that cool. You know, I mean, it's cool. It's great. I love your expression. You know, but like. They, they, at some point, you're going to go out into the world and the world is going to have, you know, a, a, a judgment of your, what you're bringing to the table or you bring value to the tribe. You know, so having that, that comparison and competition, I think, is, is just an invaluable asset to the growth of any individual. It's just, can you lead with having compassion and having love while you're competing? You know, and that's like, I've heard Ramdas talk about, from what he suggested in one of his talks, they did some research around this, but the suggestion is that it doesn't matter whether you spank a child or not. It matters whether you spank a child with love or spank a child with, um, or if you're coming from a place of like hatred or anger or, you know, you're, you're just taking out your pent up stuff where you're not enough and you're pissed off at the day. And maybe you're a little inebriated. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fucking show this kid. Whoa, two completely different categories. You know, compared to like, I love you so much. Like that bond is unbreakable. And you did something that, um, you know, like this wouldn't serve you well in the world. And because I love you so much, I'm gonna give you a little, a little on the butt, and I'm gonna like, I'm gonna love you through it deeply deeply different i don't i don't think anyone needs to hit their kid but like that scenario is so deeply different than the one where the parent is out of control angry repressed and taking out that anger on this on this sweet human being in their house so it's never the the action it's always what's behind the action so when you're trying to be the best movement educator or, or violinist or bowler or whatever it's like uh, like amazing strive compete work hard and in the end whether you had compassion for yourself and love for yourself or not it doesn't make a difference it'll just be a sweeter ride along the way like eventually you're going to die you're going to transition out of the body you know so how much love you could have packed 
into that, that lifetime while you're in this body, if you don't permit yourself to allow it because you think that that will cause you to like slack off, um, my sense is towards the end of your life that will lead to regret. You know, so I, I, a person can be incredibly well-adjusted and successful and competitive and all of that and love themselves along the way. You don't need to hate yourself to be competitive. Like that's, I think that's the, that's the big thing that I'm still, you know, toggling through myself. Uh, not that I hate myself, but that, that sense of like really, truly, deeply, this is something that came up as well. It's like, like, it sounds a little fruity, but, but like, like being in love with yourself, you know, and not in a narcissistic way, but actually being willing to like, to, to nurture yourself and be with yourself and listen to yourself. And then from there, that opens up the, the space to be able to extend that out to another. But as long as a person's coming from a place of, of, I think self-hatred is a very strong term or concept, but lack of acceptance in self, and they're seeking some other peripheral person, place, thing, achievement to make them feel temporarily okay, it can only create codependent relationships. Because once that thing goes away, you're back to hating yourself. So like, that's like, if a person can figure that shit out, like, oh man, like that'll, that, that'll change the world. Have you ever noticed when you're looking at high achieving people or people who have been very successful in the business world or have a high level of status that oftentimes what is rarely ever shown or what is rarely ever talked about are the internal stories that are going on underneath the surface that we cannot see when we see someone who is standing on, for example, the podium, both literally and metaphorically. Now, that being said, that is so, so important because oftentimes in just this conversation with Aaron, I hope is is educating and, and, and bringing more knowledge to this topic because I know I've learned a lot just from this conversation with Aaron. And that being said, we all as human beings have blind spots. Now, maybe that's due to our programming when we were young or religious programming or societal programming, whatever it is. As human beings, we all have things that we cannot see. And that is why sometimes having a coach can be so helpful. And I do believe in my own personal experience, being a coach in some way, shape or form over the last 17, 18 years is that coaches need coaches. And so one thing I'm very excited to share with you is a dear friend of mine is also a coach of mine, Jator Pierre, who was a guest on an earlier episode of The Path, is running his program called Illuminate, which is a five-month deep dive in holistic mental emotional coaching for coaches, for us to become better at our craft and help facilitate deeper change and deeper transformation in our clients. Now, there's going to be so many things that Jator goes into in this five-month journey, but just some of the high-level stuff that I I know has attracted me and why I'm going to be taking this course with him is understanding and really diving into the life-changing power of questions, developing deeper active listening and critical thinking skills, and using discernment to assist in the coaching process, using and tapping into our own intuition so that we can not only be more powerful coaches, but also so that we can be the coach that only we can become as opposed to trying to coach like someone else, and also how we can set up energetic boundaries between us and clients. And so if you are interested, I personally will be joining his Illuminate program, this five-month deep dive as a participant. It's going to be an incredible experience and the cart closes February 19th. So just in a few days, if you want to sign up and learn more, I will include a link in the show notes and I'm so pumped. So come join us for Jator Pierre's Illuminate program starting just in a few days. So want to take one step back in these last few days since you've been back, how has it been just integrating back? Has stuff come up this week? I, you know, what, what's this week been like for you? Well, I don't, I'm not like a, I'm not like a big cry in the first 10 minutes of a podcast guy. <laughs> like that's not like a, I'm not doing a shtick right now. Like that's not, that's not something that's, that's like, oh yeah, fucking Aaron, every time he does a podcast, he's always, you know, just weeping. He's trying to do like some, some vulnerability shtick. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's really just like the, the level of, uh, I hate saying things like open heart because I don't know what it means exactly. Although there is such a thing as, as broken heart syndrome, 
where you actually are, are so emotionally distraught from something that something happens in, in, in one of the chambers of your heart and you actually can you know, have cardiovascular failure or heart failure from uh, just how emotionally distraught you are. So in that sense, there, there definitely is structural, structural muscular, musculoskeletal effect from emotions. And, you know, you could, you could check out like HeartMath Institute and they mm. can actually be reading the, I think it'd be the electromagnetic um, frequencies coming off of different parts of the body. I think the heart's like 12, goes like 12 feet out. I think the brain is less than that. I don't remember the exact numbers with that. So there is, you know, actual hard analytical, structural, empirical data around the way that we think and the way that we feel informing our, 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 our physical body. So in that way, maybe saying heart opening actually is, is really fine. Um, so let's just pretend that that's, that that actually is something that's based in science to be able to say like, like open heart. Uh, and if it is, that's something that I've felt is just much more heart opening, you know, where I feel just much more compassion for, for people's, uh, the, the the child version of ourselves you know and like the, the like my inner child and your inner child and like all of the different things and like everyone is just i think for the most part like we collectively and i individually are generally working so hard to be loved you know like that's why we're doing a lot of things that we're doing you know and then it gets masked with um certain hardened shells like outer layers you know which can look good on the cover of like muscle and fitness or it can look good if you're you know, doing some brilliant thing looks good on instagram you know but so much of those external layers are in fact shells protecting someone that feels maybe at a deep down level um, feels unsure about themselves feels afraid feels um, unworthy feels unlovable and so they keep packing on, packing on, packing on until eventually they abandon that internal aspect because that aspect's a pussy. I'm not interested in that. And I am the shell. And now I feel kind of like this hardened, dry, um, like hungry ghost yearning energy because I'm not actually tapped into this deeper part that we all have access to. And I just think that I am the shell because I've, I've come to accept the hardened shell, but I still haven't really come to a point where I accept that little boy or accept that little girl because she's a fucking pussy. I'm not, no, that's not me. You know, and so, so that, I think coming to a place, I don't remember if there was a question or what the question was, but that's something that I think is very important is to bridge that gap of integration of, okay, what are my compensatory um, tendencies? Uh, and who, who am I? You know, like, like really like, I said, like, like, who am I exactly? Like, am I my performance? Am I my clothes? Am I my car? Like who, when you, when I ask you that question, who, who are you? How does that, how does that hit you? Oh, well, dude, that is so deep. And so I've asked myself that question. I imagine people listening in some way, shape or form have asked themselves that something like that before. And what I've come up with, it kind of just also changes with, where I'm at, what mood I'm in, because easy, like the, the path of easiest facilitation is that I am my achievements or what I do. Right. And then on, when I've done medicine journeys, that's just gotten completely shattered. Yeah. And so it's kind of like been very situational, you know, with where I'm at and really how calm I am, how calm my nervous system is, how many distractions am I engaged with? So I honestly, um, I don't even know. I don't really have a, a, an answer for you. You mm. know, if I'm being just fully honest, um, I think I, I, I believe that I am more than this body. Um, I believe that, that, that I am an extension of, um, if you want to call it God, you know, I am connected to that sense of source. And I'm also like, um, Mike, mm. um, so I don't really even have a good answer. It's a, it's a, yeah. it's a deep question. What the, comes up the, for you? The, the book is Untethered Soul. A little annoyed. With the singer guy? Yeah, that's Michael okay. Singer. That's Untethered Soul. Yeah. It's a really good book. Very good. Um, and that's, they, he talks about that question in there. 
and one of the the by the end the the, the first starting point be like oh i'm mike and then with that he kind of spells it out it's like okay so you writes out like m i k e like okay so you are the entirety of your unis is this organization of some letters you know some vowels and some sounds like okay like i am mike it's not untrue right you know it's like yeah it's like that's you know it's that's reasonable you know and like but it's like you're probably a little more than a collection of letters and then the next stage would be like okay well i'm mike i was born in where were you born hollywood florida great so born in hollywood florida you know i my my mom's called this my dad's called this i grew up playing soccer i was you know an overachiever i got into grappling i won these medals and you know go through a list of achievements and your geographical locations and like okay cool so is that who you are and it's like okay, i'm not that and then eventually it's you know, maybe i'm my thoughts and it's like okay, blah, 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 you're not that and eventually it's he gets to a point where it's like what mike probably is because the, the concept of, of Descartes, you know, I think, therefore I am. Mm. Like the beginning of the whole like Cartesian duality thing. It was probably not the beginning of, of duality, certainly not. But, you know, the, I think, therefore I am, a lot of people can rest on that one. And it's like, well, your thoughts, it still feels a little a little weak. You know, because you're probably more than the thoughts, especially if you run the roommate analogy of the conscious and the unconscious. And so then he kind of comes back. Eventually it's like, okay, well, you are... At, at least this observer kind of buried down in these this skin and blood and clothing and perceptions and experiences kind of peering out and you're observing thoughts and you're observing relationships and you're observing feelings but like your you-ness is more the observer mm. right mm. So then with the observer, it's like, okay, uh, who am I? It's like, well, I, I have an observer, it seems, <laughs> you know, or I am the observer, you know, but like, it's like if that part. And I think that, that within there, if a person can start to gain relationship to that observer aspect of themselves, you know, the person, the, 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 the being, the entity, the soul, the sentience, whatever it is, that's peering out behind it all. And is able to witness all of these like happenings in your life. It's like, okay. And that observer aspect is, I think, pretty much the fucking same between all of us. Maybe not the same, but it's it's not just separated by race or right. okay. know, IQ or ethnicity or country or nationality. And so that observer aspect is, is something that if a person can come into relationship with that, no matter their achievement, no matter their self-talk, the chatter, all of that stuff, no matter their comparisons, if they have an anchor back onto that point, they'll have some level of consistency and stability. Like that's like the, that observer aspect, like it doesn't get moved much, you know? And so, but if we start to drift away from that aspect of like, who the fuck am I? I'm not my clothes. I'm not my money. I'm not, you know, any of my achievements because all that stuff can and will be taken away. Right. There's this other part and I cultivate a relationship with that regularly, every day, throughout the moments, maybe, you know, whatever. I just come back and like, okay, like that, like that anchor part, you know? And so whatever the self, I could be talking about how I'm too, fat, I'm too fat, I'm too skinny, I'm too weak, I'm too this, I'm too that. It's like, okay, all right, come back to the observer. All right, I'm observing this. You know, I'm angry. I'm, I'm completely consumed by anger. I am anger. Okay. <laughs> Who's observing the anger? Is the observer of the anger angry? No. The observer of the anger is observing the anger. Ah, okay. Cool. We, we still have an anger. And so that's something, and this is a lot of, like you could listen to a lot of different people, a lot of this I'm regurgitating. This isn't something like I'm, you know, this is, this is my shit. Yeah. You know, this is just something that I've heard lots of times from lots of different kind of spiritual folk over the years. And uh, the the darkness situation has was a, a really supportive way for me to embody some of those things that I've read about. I guess is that would you say the biggest takeaway for you moving forward and what you want to continue from that is just more repetition, more awareness, more practice with that. Maybe I think that one of the things that has been something that I, I learned that is I think relevant 
could be relevant for other people as well, is, is a person can um, entrain themselves in a way, or almost almost like the the forming of a of a like a bonsai tree is another kind of like spiritual analogy. And so that a bonsai tree, if you want to uh, train the limbs to do certain things, you get some some wires and you kind of slowly bend them and you turn them and you you still you start off as just this wily tree. Freudian terms that would be like the like the id part, you know, and then it starts to grow into you know whatever you want to turn it into, and so you have culture that will just if you just allow yourself to be you know dust in the wind, then your he calls it the superego will just be cultivated and trained into the form of whatever the fuck pool you get dropped into. And then there's the, you know, the next layers, like the, the ego aspect that, that kind of, it's able to um, observe and peer in and say like, oh, okay, like I see that, or okay, I'm going to be a little bit more than this. I'm going to be a little bit, like, you can kind of toggle. So that you have, a person has the opportunity to Truly, if you want to be a more, like for me, like commitment was a big thing. Like, man, I want to be more committed. To know? what, if you could share? Uh, a, a partner. Okay. You know, um, myself, my, my business, my, just anything. It's like, uh, it's historically, it's for me, I've, I've had a bit of like, I think FOMO. I want to do everything. <laughs> I don't want to miss out on anything. You know, and, so, and so within that, if a, if a person does that, I've heard somebody clever say something along the lines of like, you can do, you know, a ton of different things, but not all at once. So if you're willing to actually like truly be with the thing in front of you, you can achieve mastery, but it's going to take 10 years, but you got 10, 10 years in your life. If you could master, maybe say you got eight, 10 years in your life, like eight sets of 10 years. <laughs> Kind of like my my darkness. Like <laughs> okay, you made that parallel, yeah. You know, so you got eight sets of ten years. If you could master eight things in your life, dear, like that's crazy. Mm. That's insane. You get to eighty and you are a master of eight things. That's like unbelievable, right? Yeah, I didn't think of it like that. Yeah, but the common tendency probably would be like, oh, I'm gonna like, I I just don't, I can't decide. I'm just gonna try to kind of do a bunch of shit for 80 years. And then I get to the end of my life and I'm like, I'm kind of fine in a bunch of stuff, you know, but I never really allowed myself to commit to anything. And now I, here I am with like a bunch of nothing. Do you think that's true though? No. Okay. No, no, for sure. You can be like a jack of all, you know, you could be a, a, a master of, of generalization. Like that's great too. Yeah, nothing. There's no like absolute anything. Uh, anything that I say, I could I could come up with like a contrarian view, like the very next sentence. <laughs> well, I was thinking because like because also too, like from the outside because this is super interesting because like from the outside, like if we're using you for an example, like the, as a podcaster, right? Mm. You've developed a level of mastery, I would say, and I'm sure many people would say, right? Mm, thanks. And well. And I don't think that's true, but thank you. So that, that was yeah. going to be the other thing, right? Because there's like, how do you, how do you know when you've gotten there? I don't think it matters. Mm. I think if you, if you think, yeah. you've, if you think you've gotten there, you're, you're probably, um, you'd be like drunk on your own Kool-Aid. Mm. I don't know that anybody, and that would, once again, that would be probably like the artificial humble thing to say, you know, cause you've like learned like, okay, like, all right, here's, here's how I sneak through this one. <laughs> you know, what I'm supposed to say is I'm supposed to say that I, you know, I'm this perennial student, mm. you know, but, but the re the reality, I don't personally know anybody that's really good at anything that doesn't identify as a student. Mm. And they also identify as a teacher. Like it's, it's just really, it's all relative. And so relative the way that a person gets to a point of mastery is, I, I think, almost as an absolute, maybe not as an absolute, but very consistently, is ongoing being in this place of, of being a student. And the moment that that person is in a room with a person, or maybe, maybe their teacher is themselves in a way they're challenging themselves, or a YouTube video, or a book, or anything, 
that can teach them something, they're like, oh, they're the best student in the room. <laughs> Isn't that right? Yeah. You're that way, I'd imagine. You're, you're, you're like I a very, you're a very good student. I love learning. Yeah. Yeah. Do you identify as, as, um, and it's, it's, I mean, there is such a thing as being a master at a thing, but I don't think a master gives a fuck about being called a master. Yeah. I think it's the thing. I would agree. I would agree with that. Whereas a non-master really wants a black belt. Why? Well, yeah. That's actually interesting. Cause I'm trying to think of like, even when I was competing in kettlebell sport, for me, it was really helpful to have an objective goal that I really wanted to get to, which interestingly left the title was master of sport. Right. Yeah. But then getting such it. Such a funny name. Yeah. I remember being like, like discovering Pavel when I was like 19 or something and seeing, I, I would, I was really into going to the, the public library in Boulder, Colorado. I was living there at the time. I was living there when I was like 20 years old or something, I believe. And I remember first discovering Pavel and seeing as like, you know, kind of semi-dorky. The book covers are very dorky, but they're great. <laughs> Shirtless, hairy yeah. chest. Yeah. yeah. And like wearing like black slacks, like master of master of sports. That was like a running joke for a while. I was like, oh, I'm a fucking master of sports. Like that is epic. That's what I, I want to be the master of sports for sure. Well, I think for me, it was definitely like, because also the journey had been a lot of adversity, like working through injury. So I was really proud of getting it. And just like really proud of that, that achievement, just, but mainly because I know what it took to get there. But really like that for sure is I know not who I am. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. what means more to me was the journey and everything that I went through to get there. Mm -hmm. For and sure. pride is awesome. Mm. False pride is a bummer. But being like doing hard shit and really truly being like, damn, Mike, I didn't think you were going to make it and you made it. Like you're like self-talk, like, dude, like respect. Like that's, that's, that's like so beautiful. And in order to do that, you need to do hard shit. In order to do hard shit, things that you think that you might not be able to do, you will, you need to fail on occasion. You might not fail, but you need to be put yourself up into a position where you might fail. In order to do that, you have to be willing to accept yourself as a student. Because the student fails, the master doesn't fail. So if you're in a position where like, oh yeah, I'm the master, you'll just, you'll just do soft shit throughout your life because you're like, oh, I don't want to actually ever prove to myself that I can't do this. And so then you stifle yourself. But a, a person that can put themselves into a place of being like, oh no, like, bro, I'm here to learn. Like I fall, I fail, you know, all of that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm here to learn. Like that, that's just a very, I, I think, important mentality to, to maintain. Well, I think too, like when I'm thinking of even the people that I enjoy spending the most time with, they're the people who share that mindset. Like that's, that's was one of the things that really attracted me so much to Lauren. One of the many things, but she's a lifelong learner and it embodies that. And it's something that we both share. And even like today, you know, me and you in the gym, like that was super fun getting to go back and forth and relay ideas and to teach and be taught and to like jive. It's really to whenever I'm around people who share that same mindset or that same approach to life, I've always been attracted to them. Yeah. 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 What's, what's in, 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 what's like the last thing that you've put yourself through where you thought you were going to fail, uh, and you were hesitant to engage in it because you felt like, Oh, I don't want to do that. Cause I don't want to prove to myself that I'm a failure. Not that that, that self-talk wouldn't be the thing for me. It's proved myself that I'm a failure. I've, I've had a tendency, I think of doing that. If I'm like really honest with myself, there's some deep down part where it's like, Oh, I feel like I'm, I'm like, I think the failure part's like a little, a little has been historically a little scary for me. So it'll stop me from doing things unless I know I'm going to win. I think for me, I'd have to... Or is that something that resonates with you at all? It does. Um, I feel like so much of my life, like that inner critic has come up so much. The things that I'm doing right now, and really um, the first thing that comes up, but it's not maybe a great example because I don't really have too much of a like big emotional stock in it. But for me, I've never been very musical. I never just like didn't grow up in that way. And I've always wanted to learn certain instruments. Like I've always wanted to learn the, sh the, the drum, like the shamanic drum. Mm -hmm. And I've wanted to learn, uh, I've always been fascinated, oddly enough, by Mongolian throat singing. Oh, that's cool. And so I started doing that probably like the last two years or so, year and a half. 
got a, like a guy who teaches me once a week or once every other week. And I'm really bad, mm-hmm. you know, like really bad. Uh, so much so that I typically go on the opposite side of the house and I, and I rock out. And it's been interesting because at, for example, like I've, I've done a little bit, little bit of it at the men's retreat. And I remember when the first time I did it, I was so nervous and I was talking to my, my teacher and it was so helpful, so helpful what he shared to me. And I'll, I'll paraphrase the best I can. And he was like, just remember, Mike, this is not a performance. Oh, this yeah, is right. a gift. This is something that, that you're gifting. And, and that was so helpful for me because I've been a competitive athlete for so long. And even though the reason why I started doing this thing was because I just wanted to learn and it's like helped me express and do something I've never done before and really never allowed myself the permission to do. And when I reframed her, when he helped me reframe it, it just opened so much. So I've gotten better. Yeah. Am I really good? No. But do I have a lot of fun? Hell yeah. That's something that there's a, I think the original, this might not be accurate, but I think the, the first, the, the, the latest or oldest instrument that archaeologists have found, something called a, it's called like the Dev J. Bob flute. And it was found in Slovenia, I believe. And it was dates back 43,000 years ago, if I remember correctly. <laughs> And it, it was a flute that was constructed from the femur of a cave bear. They found it like in a cave. Wow. There's an interesting thing. The uh, 43,000 years ago or whatever, probably longer than that as well. But there was an individual, whatever, you know, Homo habilis, whatever the heck that would have been, was inside of a cave or wherever they were, uh, potentially being prey to some kind of pterodactyl or something. <laughs> and they felt compelled to create a a musical instrument out of the femur of a bear is it's very interesting you're like huh like they, that individual there's some deep primal carnal uh innate urge to create music for a human you know and the oldest instrument would be would be song you know i think i think you know, obviously, and I, I believe as well, it's actually song came before language also, because I, I believe the vocal cords necessary to sing are, um, I think, I, I believe there, this is, I'm like reaching back to other different things that I've read and whatnot, but it's, it's almost like simpler than articulating language and words, but to, to oh, it's like very like, oh, that's old. Mm. So, so singing and humming and communicating through that, you know, artistic expression, because now it's like art, is some of the oldest things a human can engage with, which is very interesting. And the, something that you were saying that I, I think is valuable is you've done ayahuasca, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in, in that, something that I, I noticed with that, that I thought was, was really um, it felt kind of like important in a way is at the end of when someone plays an instrument or does, you know, sings a song or, you know, does the Ikros or whatever, you don't have a bunch of people tripping on ayahuasca being like, <laughs> like, woo, like that was sick. You know, like I made, like that <laughs> song was so good, bro. <laughs> Thank you, shaman, bro. Like you killed it. <laughs> Like there's, that would, be, that would be bad form. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just like, oh, cool. I'm, I, like, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling called. I'm almost moved to move this sound through me. And that's enough compared to, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to work on it. I'm going to do the thing. I'm going to perform. Okay. Do you guys like it? Did you like it? Did you like it? <laughs> I hope you liked it. Yeah. And so that, I feel like that's kind of an interesting concept as well. Like, like it would be very rude for someone to play a song, you know, at a dinner party or, or whatever. And people would not be like, oh, amazing. <laughs> no, but there's also another path of just creating music because it's like, oh yeah, like this isn't about, you don't, you can clap or not, or I appreciate that you appreciated it, but it really, it wasn't a, about the validation from other people. Which is a pretty, again, another kind of like a dope orientation 
to navigate life from of like, oh, I'm doing this. I, I, I so appreciate your appreciation. It's not like I'm above appreciation. I'm like honored that you love that and you felt compelled to like snap your fingers or, or clap or whatever. Um, but it really, it really wasn't about the validation of the claps. It's kind of valuable. That's thing. super valuable, man. Yeah. super valuable. And sometimes it's, it's cool also to be, it's, I mean, it's all like set and setting, different environments. Some environments would be weird if you didn't clap. You know, but that, in, in the culture that I was, you know, raised in, we were raised in, it would be very rude for someone to play a song and people not have a little clap afterwards. But in those more like sacred situations, which I would say everything is sacred, um, but in like the overtly sacred situations or like ceremonial situations, like, no, 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 this is like, we're just, we're just moving energy through sound. We don't need that afterward. We're good. We're just here for But my little boy really loves that. Yeah. No, man. Well, dude, this has been so much fun. I just looked down at the clock. Oh, yeah. Actually, we were in... Over an hour. Yeah, we're 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 too bad. Gonna be jet to the airport. Get an airport. (laughs) Yeah. Oh dang, dude, this was so much fun, man. I learned so much from you. Thank Mm. you, and and I shared this with you earlier today. I'm so grateful that you made time, especially after this week coming back. And uh, I super appreciate you sitting down and sharing everything you did. Yeah, yeah, of course, man. I appreciate you. And then we'll do. So we recorded a bunch of uh, instructional video stuff around. uh, what do we call the what do we call the bands? Hertz bands. Yeah, we Hertz didn't even bands. get into that. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll do we um did some video stuff. So we'll post that. I'll post that on my Instagram, Salami Podcast, and yours. People obviously just know my yours. name. Yeah, Mike Salami. I'll put that on my YouTube as well, which is also Line Podcast. And uh, yeah, I'm, ex- I'm very excited. I'm very grateful for you to share all that stuff, and I'm very excited to share all of it. And I'm excited to learn more. <laughs> I, I so greatly appreciate getting to. The way, how open you are with educating and how humble you are with how fucking talented uh, and how deeply you've invested yourself in learning your craft and then sharing it. It's very cool. I appreciate it. You are super welcome. My pleasure, brother. Cool, man. Hell yeah, dude. Until next time, my friend. Let's wrap this bitch up. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path, and I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours.